I want to be a good connector designer. Do we have anything to talk about tonight? I don't know. I guess. I mean, there were new iPhones and stuff, but it, it's really funny how unsurprising it was. Even even the parts that we expected to be surprised by, we, we were wrong. Actually, so I guess, therefore, it was surprising in those ways. <laughs> And I thought the uh, camera stuff was mildly surprising. I hadn't heard anything about that. Now, obviously, it's to be expected that there will be better, newer, faster camera things. Uh, but I didn't know the the magnitude of it all, and I don't think anyone did. And oh, it, se- it seems pretty compelling. That's because it wasn't like really camera hardware so mm. much as it mm-hmm. was uh, applying even more software to right. the camera problem. Because like, I mean, the, there is a a, a point of diminishing returns with camera hardware and phones because you know optically speaking you only have so much room to work with there right but uh if the computing power keeps you know going up and up you hey let's do something with that that may be the better place to get benefit from it and uh that seems like that's what it is and that's why we wouldn't have have heard about that or thought about that because you can't leak well i guess you could but it's not it's not on the supply chain the software side is not in a, a supply chain all over the world and there was a small hint uh, in the WBDC slides for iOS 7's announcement. Um, there was one of the one of those like million little bullet points that they put all over the place. Uh, one of them was 120 frames per second capture. And oh, really? I didn't I didn't recall that. Yeah, there was a little like 120 FPS like on on one of those like in the upper right, I think. And uh, I don't think any hardware before the 5S could actually do that. So I, th- I think that was a slight give, but. Uh, Otherwise, I mean, this. I think this. I think that whole camera stuff is awesome. I cannot wait to use it. I mean, there was, there was an app called. Is it Snappy Cam? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but I've never used it. I'll put the link in the show notes. But um, I believe it's called Snappy Cam, and it was it was a camera app that was written by some incredibly good programmers who basically wrote their own JPEG encoder and and really like tweaked the heck out of the. Um, out of the CPU to get tons of performance so that they could capture, I believe it was 30 frames a second um, on the iPhone 5. And it was either 30 or 60. It was, they couldn't reach 120 because the hardware couldn't do it, but it was either 30 or 60. And so they could capture that. And then similar to what we saw in yesterday's iPhone announcement, you could like scroll through and pick like your favorite photo from that giant burst. And uh, so that was pretty cool. So, you know, I'm actually really happy. I, they might not be, but I'm really happy to see that now be a regular feature and to have it be better integrated in the camera roll too because now you can do things like pick the two or three shots out of that that you like and delete all of the other ones which snappy cam can only do in very limited ways because it doesn't have full access to the camera roll because we don't have those apis etc so um yeah i think it's i i'm really looking forward to, to playing with that camera that that to me you know the 5s is actually a pretty substantial uh, uh speed upgrade so it looks um, I haven't re- used one yet, but sure looks that way. But the two things I think that I'm most excited about are, th- are fingerprint unlocking because I'm, as we discussed last episode, I believe I'm one of those people who never sets a passcode on my phone because I just mm-hmm. I don't want the constant day to day annoyance of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so now I will do the fingerprint lock, and I, I'll just put a couple of my fingers, I'll put my wife's finger, and that's it. Then I'm done. Maybe maybe Adams if he's lucky, maybe he'll have to earn <laughs> that. <laughs> maybe hops his nose. Otherwise. Uh, <laughs> I think that works, but we'll see. Maybe I'll try that with my new iPhone 5S whenever I get one. So, um, what is your what is your annoyance thresholds for stopping using that feature? Like, what would what would make you stop using it? What percentage of it failing? Like, you try to do it and it doesn't work. Do you know? And you need to try again. And you try again. And you're like fifty percent success rate, ninety. Like, when do you say, "All right, forget this"? I would say 
it would have to work probably at least 95% of the time within about a second. See, that, I, I didn't read, I tried to read as much as I could of the coverage, but what I wanted to see, I guess probably Apple controlled this. Someone, if they had direct access to the, you know, the hands-on area afterwards, do uh, do 50 trials, do, do you know, 100 trials, do as many trials as you can with success or failure, you know what I mean? Uh, and get some kind of number about, you know, percentage-wise, instead of just trying and say, oh, it seemed to work pretty well, and you tried it two times, you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. I mean, like the ones we saw in the uh, the Anantech video, and a few other people took videos, I think, but the one I watched was the Anantech one, and it was really good. And, and they, you know, they put it through the whole process of registering the fingerprint, which looks like it worked really well, and then they unlocked it a few times, and uh, it worked very quickly in all instances. Yeah, well, the, the thing that they showed in the in the little movie or one of the ads or something, they showed the guy, like, grabbing your phone like you do and kind of activating it. And, like, in one of the things he was using, like, the side of the corner of his thumb, like we all do when you grab the phone and go for like the home button with your thumb, right? And that, if that works that well, that's because that's, I found that impressive because if that really works that well, that means that like, or maybe did he have to train it on the corner of his thumb? You know what I mean? Like, because we don't always, like, if you're going to go and like, let me give you the full frontal of my thumb or finger and to test the feature versus let me grab the thing out of my pocket, put my finger on it without looking and, you know, get a good read on it. Uh, and I, th- I think that's where, you know, using it in real life is going to be different than uh, trying to put your finger on it in a demo area. But uh, but yeah, if it works, if it works like it, like I saw it work in all of the little demos all the time, then and especially in Apple's ad, that'll be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, trying that and having that. I mean, you know, a- as they said in the keynote, like most people don't use a passcode and that's kind of bad and it would be better if security could be reasonably secure yet also very easy so that people would actually do it and so yeah i'm looking forward to it i, I think that's going to be cool and and i i don't know though i feel like i feel like us talking this much about the iphone 5s is almost like talking about this much about the mac pro like i feel like i feel like we've now left the mainstream were we were the three of us ever the mainstream <laughs> That's but here's true. the thing. Here's the thing, though. Everything you see on the 5s will eventually be on the mainstream. So it's like you know, it's a glimpse of it's a glimpse of the future of the rest of the iOS line. Even though it's only on this one product now, surely unless it's a gigantic flop, it will move on down the line until it's everywhere and just becomes standard, just like you know, rear-facing camera. Hey, can we go back a step to the camera, Marco? I'm curious to hear as a quasi-professional photographer at one point in your life. Uh, what do you think about the flash? Because I remember vividly years ago when uh, the four of us, you, me, and Aaron and Tiff were somewhere and we were talking about how I wish I was a better photographer. And you said, well, let me give you a tip. The number one best way to be a better photographer is to never use the flash ever, ever, ever. And so I've stuck by that any time I could. And it has made for much better pictures. But I'm curious what your take is on the two flash setup. Well, it's that rule still holds true. If you can avoid using the Flash at all, you should. Um, The Flash introduces two huge problems to the entire scene. One of them is it messes up all the colors of everything, and the other one is the direction of the light makes everything look really weird uh, and and unappealing. Now, the Flash, the new dual-color Flash, which is a really cool idea, uh, only solves one of those problems. It only solves the color problem, and that is a big problem, certainly, but I think the... The amount of light coming from straight on um, is a bigger problem that makes things look worse than just having the wrong color light shown on them. And so I, I, it's a very good idea for when you have to use the flash. And a lot of people just leave the flash on auto and, and use it you know, whenever the phone thinks it should or needs to. 
And so it's going to help a lot of pictures out, but it's not going to make a non-flash picture, or it's not going to make a flash picture look anywhere near as good as a non-flash picture. Now, a lot of times, if you're in such a dark place that, you know, like if you're like in a bar with your friends, there's no light. And you're going to have to use the flash. It, you know, you just don't have a choice. If you want a picture at all, you'll have to use the flash, and that's it. And so if your choice is picture or no picture at all, maybe take the picture with the flash. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not – I certainly wouldn't rely on that, and it's not going to – it's not going to make me want to use the flash any more than before. But when I have to use it, which is very rare, but when I have to use it, it'll be a little bit better. Fair enough. So what do you think of the little ridges for the little Fresnel lenses on the flash? Oh, I didn't see that. Where, what's that about? Yeah, I didn't see this either. I saw it on all the slides, and if you look on Apple's website, they zoom right in on it, so they must not be shying away from it, but it is totally at odds with every other physical design feature of, of this iPhone and all past iPhones. Go to Apple's iPhone 5S site and scroll down to the, uh, the part that shows you the flash. Hold on. This is. I'm curious. I wonder if that's if if that's to uh, spread the light more, which would help. But yeah. it's still, you know, the the direction is. Oh yeah, look at that. Someone says it's pronounced Fresnel, but I will have you know that I looked it up, and <laughs> both pronunciations both pronunciations are valid according to Wikipedia. And as we know, Wikipedia never contains any errors. Nope. Now is that is? Let's see. I'm looking at my iPhone five. Yeah, the five flash does not look like that. At least from from eye distance. I am not a macro lens, but I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that is uh, new. I think that will help because just having a little, like, white LED, or you know, probably doesn't have a great spread pattern for the light, and now they're taking it more seriously. Like, what can we do in this limited amount of space? We can put a little lens on it, so that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I think that that could be good. It, it's I, Again, it's one of those things that I don't think it's going to really meaningfully make you able to use the flash in a lot of cases where you couldn't before and have the pictures look good. I think this this will just make the pictures look a little bit better when you have to use the flash. But this is a key, I think this is a key feature because this gigantic vast majority of people who use phones do not follow Marco's advice, don't know about Marco's advice, and will just always use whatever the and thing does care. automatically. And don't, yeah, they're taking a picture of their friends in dark rooms. And if this can make their pictures look better... That is, it's like the fingerprint thing. Like, it's such a huge win for all the people who never used any security at all. Uh, if maybe if the, the team that does Chrome security was considering this feature, they'd say, well, fingerprint is not as good as a passphone, therefore we shouldn't include it because it gives a full <laughs> sense of security. Uh, I, I think we should probably also go through the, the, the few handful of things that we know are going to be true about this fingerprint thing and, and why it doesn't matter. Like, uh, you will be able to spoof it. Uh, jailbreakers will get the little fingerprint signature things out of that chip somehow and none of that matters because it's not you know and passcodes are also more secure uh not four digit passcodes obviously but like you know a big long one or a password would be more secure but i think none of that matters because this is not an attempt to heighten the maximum possible security of the iphone this is an attempt to heighten the average security of iphones in use and i think if it works it will definitely do that oh yeah definitely yeah, what I'm curious to see is, is it possible to have the fingerprint scanning in addition to a passcode to have arguably two-factor security, which in big corporate jobs can make or break your ability to use services that you want to use? So, for example, 
a lot of VPNs that you need to get on for a corporate environment, they might require like an RSID, uh, an RSID or in addition to a password or something along those lines. And I wonder if there will be a way that you can have the fingerprint in addition to some sort of passcode. Thus, you have two-factor security, and thus you can do all these things you want to do on your corporate network. Yeah, they didn't mention that, and I'm guessing the reason they didn't mention that is even, I mean, obviously it is possible, but even if you can enable that feature in the OS, like the pitch for the fingerprint thing is get all those people who aren't using a passcode sure. to use something. The pitch is mm-hmm. not, let's double up security, because like that is that would be the worst way to advertise the fingerprint thing would be to pitch it as a as a heightening of maximum possible security, because, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I mean, even though with the two factor, it maybe would help with that. It's, I think it's so important to pitch this as a casual convenience for people who don't want to enter code. And I'm one of those people, like I never, I have never had a passcode in any of my iOS devices. And in fact, when I connected one, uh, one of my iOS devices in the past to my works uh, VPN and the VPN or the exchange server or something in the stack there required that I put a passcode on my thing, I immediately disconnected from it and said, well, never doing that again. I'm exactly, never, exactly. Never going to enter a passcode, but I, I will try this fingerprint thing if it works. If I ever get a device that has a fingerprint scanner in it, yeah, that's well, a good point. Like, do you think this is going to filter down into the iPod Touch and the iPad? Yeah, like ten years or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, the iPad will get it. I'm pretty like I don't see why they would leave it out of the iPad. It's so much bigger. You know, it's good. the iPad will the top end iPad will surely have the A7. Like, the only reason not to would be like. Some crazy segmentation doesn't even make sense to me. I don't see why it wouldn't be on the top end iPads. Uh, the iPod Touch, of course, Apple doesn't care about that. This is this is an S year, and, and the S year is the iPad Touch gets screwed. So <laughs> we'll wait till next year. I am curious to see if um, you know what happens with the iPad this this fall because it seems like you know most of the time the iPhone is like Apple's big thing for the year. And it's it's the event that the most people watch. It's the one that breaks all the live streaming or live blogging uh, things. You know, it's it's the most, it's the highest profile event they have of the year. But they started with it this year, and and there's still a whole lot of products to announce that are that are very likely to be coming out in the next few months. I wonder if, you know, how quickly are we all going to forget about how unsurprising this was once we see the other product unveilings? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what to, I, I'm still processing like the whole event. I, I'm, I watched the video and I have some thoughts on that that we should get to at some point, but I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed and this has been said a lot that, that so much was known. I am very enthusiastic about the camera. I'm very enthusiastic that the thumbprint scanner seems to work as, as great as it does. Obviously we'll all find out whenever we get them. I'm super disappointed that there's not going to be pre-orders on the five S because it is, it is our year in the list household to get a new phone, and I'm very excited. Uh, but I don't. I have a actual job, job, so I can't just blow off work on a Friday and wait in line for hours and hours. Not that I'd probably want to anyway. So now I've got to just suffer the unbelievable tragedy of not having my 5s on launch day. Yeah, it's a probably a good bet that the uh, the 5s will be supply constrained. Yeah, and, which the... means we won't have them for a long time. <laughs> it might not be that long, but it, like. You know they're gonna they're gonna sell out not because it's wildly popular though it may be but merely because this is the first device ever to have the A7 in it and presumably that's the the gating factor. Yeah, and Gruber wrote about this in his post about the event, and I think I think that's spot on, which is that splitting up the phone line like this and, and making making the old iPhone uh, or at least the old iPhone core making that the new mainstream model 
allows them to do things like remember there were all the rumors they were having trouble with incel touch and getting getting good yields on that um things like retina ipads and stuff like that like all like all the the like big bold forward-looking uh supply decisions or component decisions that can severely limit yields and limit supply and and make that make that a big problem um they can now start doing that because the highest end device is no longer the mainstream device that's true of ipads and iphones now and I, and I think that's actually a good move. Presumably they're getting, uh, they're making, I don't know if they're making more money, but like if the most popular phone turns out to be the 5C, uh, they've been making that phone for a while now and their costs of manufacture must be down even if they hadn't gone to plastic, which they also did. Of course, they also lowered the price as well. But I wonder, I wonder if the smile on Tim Cook's face was a, an expression of the fact that we're going to sell a ton of five C's and they actually might have higher, you know, profit margins for us than the original five did, which would be an amazing thing where like, uh, they sell the same phone a year later and they drive down the cost of manufacture so much that it actually gives you bigger profit margins than your previous top end phone. Oh yeah. And they need that. You know, wall street's been picking on them a lot recently. And a lot of it is, you know, just temporary and unfounded, but it's also pretty obvious that their margins are going down slowly over time because you know th- these markets are getting more competitive especially price wise especially in tablets and uh and so their margins are just get- getting smaller and smaller you know the iPad they used to be able to sell these things for like 6 or 700 bucks to the mass market and now they're selling like you know the $300 iPad mini and you know who knows what's going to happen there this fall and uh so I th- I think they need something like the 5C, which uh, honestly I I think it's a brilliant move. It's a brilliant product and it's a brilliant launch um, to do this because I I bet you're right. I bet their margin is substantially better on it. They're also now selling uh, first party cases again, and you cannot discount how significant that is. You know if they, you know let's say they make two or three hundred bucks. I, I don't know what the profit margin is usually on a phone on an iPhone. It's something like that I think. Um, yeah, it's, let's say two hundred bucks. Uh, if they're also selling you a $40 case to like 60 or 50% of the people who buy the phone, which I think is, is probably fair, that's really good. I mean, they made a killing off the bumpers for the iPhone 4 and 4S. I think they're going to make a killing on these cases too. And they, that's just so much money. They probably still make more money from the uh, you know made-for-iPhone certification program because they get a cut of every single you know other case manufacturer's profit. So the cumulative total of their license fees for the made-for-iPhone product seal or whatever thing they have going there still is going to dwarf their own things. But they're probably like, hey, if we can make a product with 90% margins, even if it's only 90%, 90% of 40 or 70 bucks, uh, let's do that because it can't hurt. Uh, the other thing on the, the 5C margins is if you think back to the earning calls, before the iPad mini came out, they said, you know, our, our margins are going to be decreasing, blah, blah, blah. Like, and then the mini came out and it made sense. It's like, okay, that's why your margins are decreasing because you know you're going to sell a ton of these minis and they cost less money. And, you know, you don't make as much money in each one of those as you were making on the previous iPad. So there you go. But that don't recall a similar warning about uh, margins, or at least not one to, to such a degree, uh, before the 5C announcement. And I think it's because they feel like they can maintain. Like, it, they're probably going to go down a little bit, but it's not going to be as dramatic a drop as it was when they re- released the iPad Mini. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I certainly did not put two and two together, but you make a very good point. And it certainly seems to me that the 5C is a play to to continue to make a tremendous amount of money from people who 
maybe like what would it, if you if the five C didn't exist, what would they be fine just buying just a regular iPhone five and probably doing so begrudgingly because it's not new and shiny. So it, I'm two thumbs up for the five C in principle from a from a business perspective. Um, I don't personally see why. I, I would want one because it's older tech, and um, there's a few things in the uh, 5S that I still think we, we should talk about that are also very interesting. But from a business perspective, it's, it's, it seems like a killer deal. And we were talking last show, I think, about how, how are you going to differentiate the two? We talked about like a 5C Envy, like, boy, the, you know, the 5C looks really cool, and it feels nice in your hand, and it comes in colors. What can they do to the boring old little black gray white monolith iphone 5 looking thing to make it an, an object of desire for anyone alone for 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 yeah besides gold <laughs> you know although that probably is a factor there and we got the answer and the answer was the fingerprint thing which we knew and apple's second part is emphasizing you know plain old-fashioned computing power like that was their pitch to people it's got a fingerprint thing and it's twice as fast and the combination of those two, they hope, is enough to securely grab all the people who got to have the, the latest, greatest thing and to make us forget about the colorful, more comfortable, nicely curved 5C. Yeah, Stephen Hackett in the chat said, I talked to several semi-nerds who said they were thinking about, quote, upgrading to the 5C from the 5. That's the power of colors and marketing. And I think that's dead on. Oh, totally. I mean, you cannot underestimate the importance of things like color and appearance and newness for something like this, for for most products, really, but especially for something like this, where people are kind of, you know, there, there's a fast upgrade cycle relative to most electronic products, and it's very much a personal item. It's always with you. People always try to personalize it with cases and stuff like that, and and so to have something like visibly very new and different, um, especially something that's so so visually different from what came before it, um, I think that's really valuable, and a lot of people are going to want that, even who already have iPhone fives. And I've been on the bandwagon for a long time of like Apple needs to make a, a new uh, – uh, to upgrade the phone line to be more than just one phone, to make a new a varied thing. And it's like why would they make a new one? Why wouldn't they just keep selling the old one? They've, they've got all the parts. They know how to make the old one just fine. And I've always said I think you can make a better phone if you start not from scratch but make a purpose-built phone that you know you're going to sell for less money. Uh, and people say, well, what could they do? Why don't, they, why don't they just keep selling a phone? Well, you know, Apple has shown what they can do. What can you do? You can stop using aluminum. You can use plastic. It's cheaper, right? You can make the battery a little bit bigger. You can put it in a nicer camera. You can give it colors to differentiate it. And, you know, we're right technology-wise that the slightly bigger battery is probably not going to make that much of a difference. And no one's going to notice that the front camera is a little bit better or anything. But everyone will notice the lower price, which, you know, the plastic helped derive. And everyone will notice the different shape and color. Uh, and... It's such a dramatically different product, sales, marketing, and performance-wise, like market performance-wise, than the 5, even though it is like 99.9% just a plain old iPhone 5. And this is what I was talking about, and, and the fact that, of course, they can sell it for you know $100 less for the, for the bottom-end model. So I'm, I'm glad to see they went through with it. I still think there's more diversification possible, but like you know, one step at a time. This is a good step in the right direction. Definitely. Yeah, do you want to tell us about something awesome? Then I'd like to get nerdy about the A7 for a few minutes. Absolutely. Do you mean the Audi or the Apple CPU? Uh, either, but I was referring to the Apple CPU. <laughs> okay. Our first sponsor this week is a return sponsor. It is MailRoute. MailRoute? Is it Root or Route? It probably uh, depends on where you're from. Mm -hmm. I say Route. I think most Americans say Route. Anyway, I'm not sure. it's MailRoute. 
Email is still the number one form of business and personal communication, and yet 90% of all email is spam. I'm actually surprised it's that low. Anyway, it's a lot. 90% of all mail is spam, according to MailRoute. MailRoute's cloud services solve this problem. From the same team that created Microsoft's forefront emailing fil- email filtering service, excuse me, MailRoute is always innovating, creating better, faster spam and virus filtering to protect you and your servers. There's no hardware or software to install, and your mail servers get a much-needed rest by not having to deal with all that massive volume of spam. Just sign up online and change your DNS MX records to start the flow of clean email. They even have an API for developers who want to automate management of their email filtering or integrate it with their own systems. If your current solution is suddenly disappearing, MailRoute will port all of your users' information from Postini or Forefront into their MailRoute service in one step using a custom script. Their migration plan is simple and effective. You can try MailRoute for free. Go to MailRoute.net slash ATP to start a 15-day free trial, and you'll get 10% off for the lifetime of your account by using promo code ATP. That's MailRoute.net slash ATP, promo code ATP. Thanks a lot to MailRoute for sponsoring the show. All right, so during the uh, event... Uh, they talked a lot about the A7, which is Apple's new system on a chip. And they I believe it's pronounced sock. <laughs> like NAS. Uh, no, anyway. <laughs> so so they, they, they talked a lot about how it's 64-bit, and I'd like to explore that a little bit. And they also talked about how it's a different instruction set. And I believe during the keynote, they also talked about there being more registers, which is what's really interesting to me. Yeah, twice as many. Mm-hmm. So let me start with the 64-bit piece. So I, I, it's been a long time since I've taken computer hardware courses and things of that nature, but I'm trying to grasp why that's a big deal today. I think it, it, I'm guessing that it's important for multimedia applications, such as moving data for images around and things of that nature. But if you take the, the very shallow view if you're not addressing more than four gigs of memory, why does this matter? And I'm kind of looking to you, John, to fill us all in. Well, the, the reaction to this, I was kind of disappointed in the nerd reaction to this, because as far as I can tell, and I did watch the video, plus you know all the live blogs, Apple never said that the A7 is twice as fast as the A6 because it's 64-bit. And right. every single thing I saw from nerds was like, 64-bit doesn't make it faster. 64-bit is not twice as fast. Of course it's not. They never said it was. Who's saying it was? Like, everyone just set up that straw man and just beat it to death over the course of the whole day. And I know regular people are confused and they think 64 is twice as big as 32 or whatever. But, you know, we're all nerds here. We know 64-bit doesn't make it twice as fast. Like, I mean, if anyone was alive during the Nintendo 64 era, you learned that when you were eight years old or however old, old you were when the N64 came out. Uh, so that was that was disappointing because I because I don't think it was bashing on anything that Apple said. Apple said it was 64-bit. Apple said it was twice as fast, but I don't think they drew any sort of line dotted or otherwise between those two things. Uh, so that's that's issue one. Uh, and by the way, the reason people for people who don't know the tech details, the reason that's uh, people were beating up on that straw man is because all other things being equal, 64-bit. CPUs are slower than 32-bit because all your pointers are 64-bit, and if all other things are equal, that means your instruction and data caches are the same size, and now they may be the same size, but now you got to store 64-bit pointers instead of 32, so now you have more cache pressure, and that, you know, like, it's not memory bandwidth for getting instructions to and from, like, things get bigger in 64-bit, and unless you increase everything else, which, of course, regular 64-bit chips usually do, but again, all other things being exactly equal, 64-bit is actually slower than 32 now, when you make a real 64-bit chip, you know, you, they know that, that 
you have more data to move around and they make the caches bigger and they make the buses wider and they, you know, tweak things and do all this stuff. So uh, in the end, it can end up being a wash, but you're not getting twice as much performance out of it unless other things are different. Uh, and the reason there might be some misinformation floating around about this is that in real live CPU architectures, there have been cases where 64-bit gives you a boost that has nothing to do with 64-bit directly. So for example, uh, x86, the 32-bit instruction set on, on Intel's chips, uh, is ancient and crappy and disgusting. And when AMD created a 64-bit extension of that instruction set, it says, now now it's our chance to get rid of some of the crappy stuff, and let's make instructions that are nicer. And so 64-bit uh, you know, Intel chips that use the x86-64 instruction set from AMD got like a 15% speed boost, not because they were 64-bit, but merely because the 64-bit instruction set could do less stupid ass-backward things. And so you'd <laughs> want to use the 64-bit instruction set because you got access to more registers because, the you know, the old x86, the IA32 architecture was like register-starved by modern standards. And they made instructions that, you know, could execute faster on the way modern chips are designed and everything like that. So 64-bit Intel chips were, you know, faster than 32-bit ones, but not because they were 64-bit, merely because the 64-bit transition gave the designers a chance to sort of update their thinking. Uh, that could be the case in the ARM architecture as well. Maybe they it get a couple, a couple percentage speed boost of saying, okay, well, a lot of these ARM things were made back in the day when we were you know, designing really tiny chips and you know, smartphones were just a glimmer in our eye. Now is our chance with this transition from the 32-bit to 64-bit to revisit some of those assumptions and maybe make an instruction set that's more tailored to modern you know hardware capabilities and maybe we'll get like a couple percent here and there speed boost from that that's still not where you're getting your double performance from uh and that i think is the the place where people are still scratching their heads it's like okay well you know anyone in the know like you know Anantech or whatever says okay they apple says twice as fast if we take them at their word there has to be some explanation of that higher clock speed, you know, a, a larger amount of, you know, instructions per clock, uh, you know, extracting more instruction parallelism with bigger, you know, windows, uh, more rename uh, registers, you know, like all the typical things that you do with any CPU, you know, you know, making the pipeline longer and cranking up. Like we don't know what they did because Apple didn't tell us. All they said was, all they did was show us a chart. So once the CPU guys get their hands on this thing, they will tell us, is it actually twice as fast under what conditions and how did they do it? And the answer of how they did it is not going to be, uh, they made it 64-bit. Right. And some of the things you said, uh, I think are absolutely true in this case, specifically by moving to a new version of the ARM architecture. So from based on a little bit of reading I did before the show, uh, accidental, uh, it, it seems as though they moved to ARM V8. And I found a uh, blog post that has a couple of great links, which I put in the chat a moment ago. And it talks about some of the changes that were made. Now, I think the speed increase to me, probably comes from more registers, but we can talk about that in a second. But some of the things they did were they made all of the instructions exactly 32 bits, and so instructions are always the exact same size. They added a crud load of registers, like I said, and they did change the instruction set, just like you said, John, in order to simplify it and get rid of some of the cruft that they didn't want anymore. So if the a7 really is using ARM v8, then that could explain a lot of these differences. And the well, that's, that's, that, not, that's not going to give you double performance, though. Adding double the amount of registers is not going to double your performance. Sure. And, and like none of those things you listed are going to double. If, if you're going to get a doubling, it has to be more execution units, bigger execution window, 
uh, higher clock speed, maybe longer pipeline to get that. Like that's the you don't get double performance from those things. You get like percentage increases. You have to do something fundamental, like you know how many instructions are dispatched per clock, how high is the clock speed, like those mm-hmm. type of mm-hmm. things. That's where you get your your doubling from. And again, all we have to go on is Apple's claim of doubling. There may be specific benchmarks in which it really does double but like this we need to get this into the hands of someone who's going to do real benchmarks and say okay what is the actual increase is it is it double in simd stuff because the simd instruction set in 32-bit was crappy and now it's way way better that's easy to get a double win there if you just say look you know we, the new simd instruction set is way better than it was before we have twice as many uh simd registers and we can address them as 64 bits in, in addition to 128 bits and so now we get an easy doubling on this particular benchmark but do you get doubling across the board probably not so we'll see no i i agree and i i think the thing that's interesting to me about the in, the significantly increased i guess doubling of of the amount of registers is that if if you're not familiar you know so registers are little bits of memory that that are basically on the cpu for all intents and purposes oftentimes literally and so if you need to store something somewhere the quickest and easiest place to store that is in these registers and then eventually you can move it off into other memory elsewhere and so having a lot more of these registers makes things like you said a lot quicker now how much is a lot maybe it's one percent maybe it's ten percent it, I, I would tend to agree it's probably not, you know, 200%, but I'm curious to see what's, what's going to be made of that. And I'm curious to see, just like you said, what, what, what is this really all about deep down inside? Did you so, find out if it's really double the number of, you know, code addressable registers or if they're talking about rename registers? I thought it was double the number of registers. They went like uh, TP4 in the chats, and this, is, this sounds right, 14 to 31 with a hardwired uh, stack pointer and and uh, one other special register that I'm forgetting. Yeah, I looked at that thing. They said that <laughs> I don't know anything about the previous ARM instructions. And just looking at the slides, assume that you do. But it was like, oh, now the program counter isn't in a register. I guess it used to be. Oh, now the stack pointer isn't in a register. A stack pointer and B. Uh, yeah, okay, that's good. And and a dedicated zero register. Like, yeah, all, all sorts of things that make me give me a vague indirect picture of what the old ARM instruction said in 32-bit used to be like compared to the new one. I've heard reports from people on Twitter that the new, that the, the 64-bit instruction set for ARM looks a lot like MIPS, which was a very sort of classical risk-type thing. Again, you know, the old instructions the same size, you know, executing in, in predictable number of clock cycles and the whole nine yards, versus ARM, which looks kind of weird with those, you know, power-sipping features where things could be small and variable size and stuff like that. Yeah, so we'll see what Anantech says when they dissect it uh, whenever they get their hands yeah. on it. And an- uh, another easy way, by the way, before we leave this topic, to get speed boost is to just add a bunch more L1 and L2 cache. That's a cheap way right. to... Well, it's not cheap. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean, but like to, to, to win benchmarks, if you could, if it couldn't fit in L1, it couldn't fit in L2 cache before, but now it can, suddenly you get a, a double speed up. It's like, hey, we're twice as fast, provided you use something that fits in cache. All right, so any other extraordinarily nerdy bits i think it's worth looking at a lot of these things you know the cpu is one thing we saw last year um when when the a6 debuted and uh it used apple's new swift architecture um we saw the beginnings of it there i think we're seeing apple do more and more specialized things maybe not necessarily primarily but certainly secondarily for the purpose of making it harder to copy or or match what they're doing like if you look at a lot of these things iOS 7 is, uh, you know, a total redesign. We talked about this back when it was announced and how a lot of that is going to be 
not it's not impossible to copy, but harder in certain for certain hardware, for certain designs, for certain um, setups. Um, you look at things like the crazy camera stuff. That the camera stuff you can copy because that's just like an app, and Samsung can bundle their own camera app and uh, and and do that. But like to do something like the fingerprint unlock of not just the phone, but to use fingerprints to uh, read or to to um, authenticate you to the store to buy things. That's going to be one thing. Like you need a lot of integration down the line to make that happen. And I don't know if Android's going to be able to pull that off. Win- Windows Phone could. The cloners can do the crappy clone of that. Here's here's the crappy clone of fingerprint unlocking the store. They make you enter your password, and then they store it off on the side somewhere, and then they re- recognize your fingerprint, and then they get the password out of the little file. Like, you can do a terrible copy of all these things. And you say, who would make a terrible copy of Apple's thing? Hmm. Uh, I, I don't think true. <laughs> I don't think they're above like you know I mean doing it the right way yes it's difficult to copy but I'm not sure these doing these things to be difficult to copy and uh, one instance when you were saying like the with the OS uh, it reminds me that uh, Apple some of Apple's features in iOS seven are actually difficult for iOS developers to copy I'm thinking in particular of like the little transparent things that fuzz out the background that slide up over oh, those are actually very easy to copy the interface it depends on on the context I've seen a lot of people well this is you know, in the NDA forums discussing this very issue and saying we'd like to be able to have a way to do that kind of filtering that you do in iOS 7 and then Apple people saying uh, there's not yet a public API for that and then them fighting with each other about why there's not yet a public API for all the <laughs> things they want to do. Although you can rip the layer off a toolbar and uh, done. <laughs> yeah, you can do some <laughs> things, but they're like basically – you know, you'll see an Apple app that will do something. You'd say, hey, I'd like to do that same thing in my app. And you'll find out that there's a public API that does something close to that, but not quite. And there's no public API to do exactly what they do. And then you complain. So, and it's not because Apple is obstinate. It's because, you know, technically speaking, Apple is barely able to do what they're able to do. And they can't do it in a way that works in a general purpose API. They can only do, do it the crazy cheating way that they that they have to do it. You know, it's true of anything that Apple is. Like a lot of times Apple... Apple gets the APIs first. Like, I think even core text and, like, boring things like that, you know, Apple gets them first. They're in Apple's apps first. You don't get them. They're private APIs. And in the Mac days, it's like, well, you could, you know, figure it out and, and use them anyway, but at your own risk. But in iOS, it's like, no, you don't get them at all until until or unless Apple decides we can make a general purpose API from this that we're going to support forever. And if they never can, you never get the API. Uh, but in the meantime, only Apple apps get it or the OS gets it. I want to do our second sponsor this week. Sure. Our second sponsor is, can you guess? I'll give you one guess. I'm going to go with Squarespace. No, it's actually, no, you're right, it's Squarespace. So, (laughs) this episode is, once again, brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 20% off for this month of September, go to squarespace.com and use offer code ATP9 for the month of 9. It is 9, right? Yeah, 10th October. Yeah, the month of (laughs) 9. math so squarespace we use squarespace we love squarespace they're fantastic uh they're constantly improving their platform with new features new designs and even better support they have beautiful designs to start with and all the style options and customizability you need to create your own website with your own feel and your own look and your own hacks if you really want to we do a few hacks ourselves and it works really great and it was very easy and i did it once and and then forgot about it because there's no maintenance necessary it's really fantastic they have over 20 highly customizable templates to start with, and they've won numerous design awards from prestigious inter- institutions like the Awards, uh, Foie, the Webbies, <laughs> and Forbes. 
There's three W's. I don't know. Is that how you? Last time I had to say that, I I, I think I, I think I did the same thing. Was that right? I have no idea. Sounds anyway, great. At least using Squarespace is way easier than reading this ad. It's incredibly easy to use. But if you want some help, they have an amazing support team. They work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's over 70 people just on their support team alone. Uh, and even they have won numerous awards. Most recently, a Gold Stevie Award. So Squarespace starts at just $8 a month. And if you register for a whole year, it includes a free domain name. So start your free trial today with no credit card required. That's a real free trial, no strings attached, no credit card required. Start that today. And then when you do decide to sign up for Squarespace, please use our offer code ATP9. And that will get you 20% off during the month of September only. So act quickly. 20% off during September. Use code ATP9. Thanks a lot to Squarespace for supporting ATP. They are everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, so I, I realize there's another bit of nerdery we should probably talk about, which is the M7. Wait, did I miss a BMW announcement? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, somebody joked, I don't remember who it was now, that uh, you know Apple's come out with the M7 and BMW's come out with the i8, yeah. so things are totally backwards now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we should talk about this M7, which is, I, I'm going to call it, and I'll probably wrongly call it a coprocessor, but it's kind of like a, a second chip that sits there and apparently deals with the accelerometer and I believe the GPS and a bunch of other motion-related things. And the implication, but not statement to my knowledge, was that it will also log a lot of these events so that the A7 doesn't have to power on and handle them and deal with them. And then it can potentially fish all these log entries off to, uh, to some app, like a Fitbit app or something like that. And it seems like a very interesting play in order to enable some really interesting more biometric data on the phone. And somebody, might have been one of you guys, pointed out, you know, I wonder if this M7 is going to end up in some other kind of device eventually, like maybe a watch or something like that. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? Yeah, that's the that's the obvious move for the M7. And also, by the way, for the A7. I mean, that that's the buzz about both of these things is other devices that they could appear in. M7, obviously, if Apple makes something wearable, uh, yeah, then you'll be seeing that chip again, uh, or that the marketing label for that chip anyway. And the A7, uh, 64-bit ARM chip. Everyone is always like, well, we're going to put an ARM in the MacBook Air and get you know 50 hours of battery life out of it or some crazy thing. Well, the Airs are already up to like a ridiculous amount of battery life with Intel chips in it. So I'm not entirely convinced that there's any need in particular to bring the arm to the air because i think intel is coming from the other direction and they haven't yet met in the middle the a7 isn't isn't as fast as current macbook air cpus and the current macbook air cpus are nowhere as power efficient as the as the a7 but they're converging on a middle point and wherever wherever they hit each other look at where that point is and decide is this a viable you know can, can we make a viable mac with this amount of processing power uh because if you can't then you know there's no point in enduring the pain and fat binaries of trying to make an ARM-based Mac. Uh, but the, M- yeah, the M7 in some other device that's, you know, that you wear seems like a slam dunk. You know, we should also point out that it enables, it, they say it enables things like knowing the difference between you driving and walking. And I'm not really clear why we didn't already know that by way of the GPS or something power hungry like that. And maybe it's just that it doesn't need something power hungry to figure this out. But uh, that that it presumably will lead to some interesting use cases that I can't fathom. But uh, I think the example I saw was that Apple said, when you are getting directions somewhere, let's say you're driving into a metropolitan area, 
and you park your car, but you're not quite where you need to be, then maps will automatically switch from driving directions to walking directions once it sees that you've slowed down to the point of walking. So things like that are pretty cool. if you're at a red light, that would kind of suck. Yeah, exactly. Well, I can can tell whether you're in the car from maybe the vibrations of the butt massaging. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't vibrate. Yeah. These are, these are not the, uh, these are not features of the M7, obviously. These are like APIs that Apple, you know, core motion APIs that Apple's going to expose. Like, like, like you said, Casey, all the chip is doing is being really low power and writing a bunch of information out to someplace that the, when this whole system comes back up, they can read and interpret. And the thing that's reading and interpreting them is code that Apple writes that then provide APIs to figure this stuff out. The M7 itself is just, you know, not, the impressive thing is that it exists, not the implementation of it, because it's probably, you know, hey, this this, this tiny chip uh, has, I don't even know if it's a separate chip, Apple presents it as such, but for all we know, it could be on the same package somewhere, uh, sits there and does one job and does it well and doesn't have to involve the CPU, and its whole job is to be there and, re- and write stuff down so when the CPU wakes up, it can say, oh, uh, I don't know what was happening because I was asleep, but that guy over there knows. Let me get the list of everything that happened, and let me run a whole bunch of software that Apple wrote to grind over that data to figure out, okay, driving, doing this, or whatever. And, of course, if everything's turned on at the same time, then they're working in concert. But the key feature is you walk around with your phone in your pocket, and uh, you grab your phone, take it out, open your fitness tracker, and it immediately wakes up, reads all the historical data, and tells you how many steps you've taken. Well, and it's also maybe doing a lot of that in hardware or in very, very lightweight software. Because, you know, so far what we've had, even with the even with the very first iPhone, we had the accelerometer, but the data you get from it is is raw. It's just like the current, uh, you know, the current uh, motion acceleration being put on the phone in three axes, X, Y, Z. That's, that's it. And then when they added the gyroscope, then you could get things like the current phone alignment or attitude, they call it, I think. Um, which is, you know, the, the angle in space the phone currently is. And then the compass doesn't work. So <laughs> have you ever had a compass that worked? I haven't. You have, you have to move it into figure eight pattern. Yeah. I'm not, not sure if you know that. But. It never works. <laughs> but so, uh, that's, that's an elaborate troll by someone inside Apple to see if they can make oh, people yeah. take their phones and wave them around. Oh, totally. So, like, so, you know, so before, even, and Apple has improved the API. I believe iOS 5, was it, added core motion? Uh, might have even been 6. But, you know, they, they, they improved the API to make this a little bit easier, but you still had to, like, deal with raw data for the most part in software, you know, in the full you know, user space code that you were writing. And so if they can move, if they moved some of that down, which is, it sounds like the M7, regardless of what its hardware impl- implementation is, it's, uh, it's something that parses all that raw data for you in some kind of extremely low power state. And so rather than saying, here, you know, here's all of the data from 60 hertz for the last six hours, you know, here's like this tremendous array of floats uh, that you have to deal with and figure out yourself. They can, they can shrink that down with some kind of heuristics that are hopefully very lightweight um, to say like, all right, this just, if you want to know how many steps the user took, just register for number of steps, tell us when to start, when to stop, and we'll give you what was there in the middle. And if, if that's really what it does, that's a massive um, not only time saver for developers, but if they do it right, if, if they've implemented this in you know, low-level hardware that's very low power, which it sounds like that was the idea, uh, then this, this is a whole new class of possibilities that before would have just been not only way too power-hungry, but you wouldn't have even been able to do them unless you were using GPS constantly because you wouldn't be able to run in the background that long. Yeah, it's kind of analogous to FS events in Mac OS X, where yeah. you have something that's trying to keep track of everything that happens to the file system, but there's just too much data. 
So it massively compresses stuff, it coalesces similar events and periods of time, and it summarizes, and then it jams it all into a log. So yeah, this little thing is, it has to be doing, if only for compression purposes, some interpretation of the data, because, you know, you can't you can't store that. If, you know, recorded data for an hour's worth of walking, and if it really was at 60 hertz, that's just too much data to, to be putting somewhere. Uh, so I have to imagine that it's doing some sort of coalescing and compressing and summarization and interpretation uh, or even just like lowering the sample rate because seriously, you know, your sample rate doesn't need to be 60 hertz to tell when people are walking. Uh, <laughs> and, and then anything up the chain could further massage the data. But I, I, I think it's probably like a storage issue in terms of who, who decides to summarize data, who does the motion smoothing, who does the interpretation. Uh, and it, they must be doing something down there in the M7 because otherwise it would just be filling up this giant buffer full of stuff. You know, it's funny you bring up coalescing. I was thinking, and I was going to say a minute ago, that, that this is almost like the year of coalescing for Apple because, you know, we had the timer coalescing in, in OS Ten Mavericks, and now we have this motion coalescing, and I know Federico is going to be very happy about that. So, um, in any case, anything else on either of the bits of hardware? Uh, the, the 5C case we were talking last oh, yes, week about, yes. about, you know, the if Han they case. make... If they make this, no, not that. Well, I mean, I mean, first, before we get to the thing with the holes in it, uh, the plastic back of it, you know, it being curved and more comfortable, we all saw from the pictures, but what we can't see in the pictures is what kind of material is that? And I mentioned uh, last time that if they made it out of a material that's more grippy and less slippery than, you know, the glass back or the metal thing, then maybe you wouldn't even need a case on it. And, you know, again, because they're coming in different colors, who's going to buy a colorful phone and slap a case on it, completely covering the cover part? Uh, no, the color part, rather. So Apple's answer was, we're going to make it out of a super hard, super glossy material. So forget about being remote, it being remotely squishy. Uh, and we're going to sell our own case made of silicone, my old favorite case material, because it is squishy. And they're going to solve the problem of, okay, why am I going to put a case over my colored phone by just punching a whole bunch of holes in it? <laughs> so uh, you know, which, when I first saw that holes, my first reaction was, yeah, I guess that's one solution to making the case color continue to matter. But I also wondered, like, are they doing that for heat reasons or something? Because it just <laughs> seems like, I mean, it doesn't really make sense that they'd be doing it for heat reasons over only half of the phone or something. But who the hell? Otherwise, they can't be doing it for heat reasons because no. there's going to be cases without holes in them. So it's got to be able to deal with that anyway. But it is definitely odd. And I love the fact in all of Apple's videos when they showed this case with the holes in it. Uh, no FCC information and no iPhone text was on the back of the phones. It's yeah. just, that's that's real convenient for your ads, but the real phones have that text there, and it looks awkward. Well, that's not true. One of the one of the videos definitely had it because I backed it. I was watching. I want to say it might have been the keynote. I was watching it on my TV, and I thought to myself, "Oh, look, it doesn't have the HON or whatever it is that shows through." And I actually backed it up, got off my butt, walked up to the TV because my eyes are terrible, and sure enough, it was there. And I'm pretty sure this was the keynote. They had some videos with it without, with the text not there, very clearly, because mm, they were super mm -hmm. zoomed in, which is a total cheat and not something I would, ex <laughs> would expect from Apple, because they're supposed to design, like, they idealize things, sure, like, you have know, 3D renders or whatever the heck they're doing, or, you know, completely massaged to look real, but it shouldn't be like erasing stuff. You, you shouldn't erase the word iPhone, because it actually is in the back of the phone, and you shouldn't erase the FCC things, because they actually are there. Uh, so... That's a shame, and that's strange, and I don't, like, I haven't felt any of these things in my hand, but I'm kind of disappointed that it's not squishy. But on the other hand, I found from, you know, from my TPU case, which is very shiny and very, very smooth, it's not textured, like, you know, like silicone would be, it's not fuzzy or anything like that. 
it's still supply, surprisingly grippy because you get a big contact patch. It's kind of like slicks on a race car. You actually do get a big contact patch. And as long as that contact patch is not wet, uh, like slicks in the rain, which are bad, uh, <laughs> then you actually do get some grippiness. But in terms of uh, resting on the the curved arm of a sofa with that shiny back thing, that's not so great. So I'm kind of disappointing they didn't they didn't go with any kind of squishy back. But I kind of understand it as well because if I thought about it for more than a couple minutes, I would have said, "How can they make the back of a phone squishy? You would have to have a complete rigid sort of." Uh, inner skeletal structure over which they stretch the squishy stuff and instead they didn't do that they have the antenna which is rigid but it's only around the edge and the whole back its rigidity comes from the fact they're using the super hard plastic yeah and the 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 case to go back a step the case i cannot believe that apple did that and if this were any other manufacturer that that had done that the internet would have blown up 10 times worse than it did about how stupid they are they don't pay attention to detail this is ridiculous this is why apple's so much better than everyone else and yet here it is apple letting hun show through it's, it, it's, i just can't it's no believe it's, it. it's french it's n-o-n through the top of the age is chopped off <laughs> <laughs> it is the I, french people saying no apple that's you can't do that <laughs> i mean like realistically speaking though like it's a judgment call of saying like apple knows that no one except for super nerds are not going to notice this but we're all super nerds rightfully flipped out about it and will continue to flip out about it and i don't think the super nerds would buy that case because i even I ignore for now the the terrible cutting off of the words. I think it's just ugly anyway, with the little circles over half of the surface. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think anybody, do you think even one person who is co- who is compl- currently complaining about the Han slash Non, uh, do you think even one of them was actually planning on buying one of these? Right, like if that wasn't there, like, well, I would buy that ugly case if it wasn't for how it cut off the letters, but I don't, I don't, you, you know. You won't even be buying the 5C. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, like the 5C, I've seen, you know, I think people, people who have held it to say it feels impressive and, that, you know, if you like the color, uh, a lot of people, especially people who customize their phone, you can make inter- an interesting phone, like the yellow one. But the, the great thing about the 5C is they all have black faces, right? I think that's uh, right. I'm pretty sure they all have black faces, so it's kind of it's it's an interesting combination of like you can you can have a black and yellow phone if you're like you know if you're a Georgia Tech fan or something. I only know those colors because my wife went there, but you know whatever your school colors are, and the cases with the holes in them, though I find it ugly. The color combinations do give you a lot of options to sort of accessorize, and I think Apple is sort of giving the people what they want. They want, uh, you know, sometimes they want cases with rhinestones on them, and they can still get that, you know, in the aftermarket. But Apple is giving many more options than just black and white, and I think it's going to be a net win for them, except for the lint collection thing, because I think even normal people will notice after a while the amount of lint that's going to collect in those little circles. And I can confirm, yes, they are indeed all black faceplates in the 5C, which is weird because they offer a white back color. But even I, I that like one that is... one. I like the white back plate with with the black front. I think that's a cool combination. Mm. I'm I'm thinking this this is the first time that I've been tempted to get the white phone, not the 5C, but but the 5S. Um, with the, because with the gold? of iOS 7. No, no, no. The the other, the real. Oh, one. They, all right, okay. The white one's still there. <laughs> yeah, the uh, silver back white. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This has been the first time I've been tempted to get that because... Wait, are we talking about gorillas? <laughs> I'm just going to cut that out and pretend like you didn't <laughs> see it. <laughs> um, you know, because iOS 7 is so white and light. And, like, I'm finding, as I'm designing my own app and as I'm seeing what Apple has done with their apps, the default before was everything was just dark, black, you know, textured. Like, it, it was like you were sitting like you know in a bar everything's like you know black and leather and everything like that well a weird bar 
I'll I'll stop there. But it's, (laughs) you know, imagine, by the way, John, in this picture on, on the 5C site, the top of the N is clearly not fully cut off and it looks like Han. Anyway, um, you know, iOS 7, I, I think white is in style now. It's before it was, you know, we people would joke that it was like, you know, for women or, or something else, probably horribly insensitive. Um, but it's just the style now. Most of the iPods ever sold, or the, the original ones at least, those were all white. Um, you know, I, I think there, there are eras where this is going to be in fashion, and this is one of them. And having everything be white like i my whole app design is white based and because ios 7 is white based and it looks really good like it's kind of refreshing it makes it look newer it makes it look nice and modern and to put all that on a phone with a black faceplate i think kind of weakens it or or doesn't take advantage of of the new uh the new style i, I think you'll have to see it in action to to make that i mean you're seeing it in action but i haven't yet because i fully plan to put a black background as i always have on all my ios devices on ios 7 and you know i did that i did that for my first few uh my probably my first month using it i had a solid black background and i, I turned off the parallax and everything and just solid black background i did that but it, it 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 was okay and it worked for a while but then I, I when i was picking colors and an icon for my app i decided let me let me put the phone in a more stock configuration so i could see like how most people are likely to see the app on the home screen and so i switched over to the there's like a it's like a um like a stone graphite looking wallpaper it's like a stone texture um there was that and i was like you know this i'll live with it light for a while and now i like it light now i feel like going back to all black would be kind of retro in a bad way like just like kind of going backwards in time like going back and using a sega saturn yeah you know i have never wanted a white iphone i do not understand the appeal but if that's what makes you happy then feel free and i should i should add the last time i said i just didn't understand the appeal of something it was a bmw and we all saw how that ended up so don't forget apple products before that and apple products before that so yeah, I'm sure I'm doomed to be to drive a 911 with my white iPhone sometime in the future. But regardless, I, I don't know. I don't. I never understood the white iPhone thing personally. John, if you had an iPhone, what would you have? Um, I don't know. Like, no. I've I've always liked how the white ones look as devices, especially being an old school Apple guy. I really love the people who like found a tiny rainbow colored apple sticker and stuck it on the back of their white iphone because back in the days of the uh snow white design language of the you know the mac se30 my favorite old mac and the 2ci and all those things where there was like apple platinum with slats in it and everything if you had envisioned a futuristic apple phone it would be platinum or white and have a rainbow colored apple logo on it so i think those things look great except for as i mentioned on the past show the fact that okay it's not a piece of art it's actually a device with a screen that you have to use and the white on that screen is never going to be or not never but certainly in, with current lcd technologies is not as white as actual real live white reflective surface that's next to it so in any kind of bright light i think a white ios device makes the screen look worse and that's why i always go for black faceplate like that's that's why I think the 5C is so great, because they all have black faceplates, even the one with the white background. So you can get, and really, the 5C colors do not appeal to me, except for maybe the yellow, if I was really into something yellow, like a sports team or something. Uh, but the white one is the only one that could be considered neutral, but it still has a black face, so thumbs up. So fashion-wise, 
Uh, although, although I do like most of the white devices and I do like the silver back on that thing, pragmatically, I think I'd still prefer a black face to make the screen look better in more conditions. I will say too, I have a white iPad mini because after buying the iPhone 5 and it's like very dark black color last year, um, I, I learned after having it and getting it that the black isn't that good. It's it's too dark. You know, I've said that before on the show. I'm not going to go into it again. But you know, the the iPhone 5's black was was just too dark, and I don't think it looks good. And so when the iPad Mini took the exact same design options, basically, I said, no, no way, I'm getting that again. I'll, I'll get the white, and I like it. It looks really nice. I, I got the little red, you know, crappy Apple cover with it, and it looks really good. It's a nice pairing. And I, you know, I think certainly on future iPads, I'll do that. You know, the issue you you raised, John, I have it out here with me right now. The issue you raise about the white of the faceplate not matching the the color or the brightness of the white on the screen, that's a very real issue. Right now, I'm sitting in a room painted red at night, lit by a warm temperature LED bulb, so the light in the room is very yellowish, and the faceplate very clearly looks yellowish, like a you know warm tint. And the screen, of course, is relatively neutral, and so the screen has a very like you know bright, cool, more you know closer to five thousand K kind of white. So there is that imbalance right now, but it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look great if you like look at it and pay attention to it. Most of the time, you don't pay attention to it. I was thinking more in terms of brightness, where as you get it, like at nighttime, sure, it looks fine because then the white face becomes basically a black face because the source of light is the screen. But out in bright sunlight, yeah, they all look crappy out in black sunlight. But white one, bright sunlight, but white ones look crappier because it makes it look like. Boy, can't the screen... The screen really can't keep up. Like, you don't realize how dim current LCDs are until you actually bring them out to direct sunlight, which is why people love, you know, reflective screens like the Kindle, right? Once you get out into sunlight, that backlight is just totally overpowered. And you thought, boy, this thing was so bright, it was blinding me when I was inside my house or laying in my bed or whatever at night. But once you go out into bright sunlight, it is totally overpowered. And, you know, that type of underpowered backlight in the face of bright light of any kind, indoors or outdoors really benefits from having from being next to black it needs all the help it can get because colors look bright you know white will look brighter when it's next to a dark color so it's an optical illusion saying like i will make my screen look brighter (laughs) to you because it's next to a black thing when you put it next to a white thing it's the worst possible condition it's it's highlighting all the weaknesses of the screen yeah i mean i i agree that that's a real issue but i disagree how much it's actually noticeable in practice well, you're not John Syracuse. That's true. <laughs> it also depends on when, when you use your thing most. If you use it mostly indoors or use it, you know, mostly in dim conditions, then it doesn't matter. And, it, you know, it doesn't bother a lot of people. But for me, it, it bothers me because I feel like it's just – I don't know. It also distracts me visually. Like I, my eyes would be drawn more to the outer. I just, I just want a black frame. It's like getting a TV. I want a black frame around my TV as well. You don't want a, a white or a shiny frame or anything that's going to draw your eye around the TV because the screen is supposed to be the star, not the other thing. And the only way I would go with the white face is when we finally get to screen technology that really is like they could they could match it so that the white is exactly the same. Some sort of combination of reflective emissive screen uh, in some distant future that really does look the same. Then fine, get the whole thing white. <laughs> All right. Anything else on hardware? I'd like to talk about the uh, actual presentation, the keynote briefly, but anything else on the hardware? All right. So I, I feel like Tim did not do a particularly good job. He stumbled a lot and seemed really nervous, which is weird because usually he's extremely not nervous and he's very deliberate, which is something I wish I was a little better with. He'll oftentimes lead, leave long pauses if he's thinking something through or perhaps trying to remember the next line. I don't know how scripted these things are. And he's always very deliberate. And I felt like this time he didn't feel that way. He felt 
Like it, it seemed as though he felt like he was out of his element. And conversely, Craig Federici, who we've said for a while now has actually turned into one heck of a great presenter. He, as, as he did in the WWDC this year, he absolutely killed it again. And, and I was very confused by Tim's apparent confusion. I don't know. Did you guys notice that as well? Am I the only one? Well, I mean, he did call it. He, he called, uh, did he call Keynote a spreadsheet or Pages a spreadsheet? Did he call something a spreadsheet? Yeah, yeah. A spreadsheet. Well, who? I mean, Schiller called Firewire ports Thunderbolt or vice versa. Yeah, I know, I know. But like, that's that's the, like people misspeak. Uh, we we of all people know know better than anyone. I, the vibe I got from him was that he seemed like giddy and happy, like that he was excited that these products were going to be released. And did that affect his performance? He, maybe he was, you know. He didn't care. He was just happy. Boy, I can't wait till these things. You know, he seemed he seemed very smiley to me. Like he was really happy about these products. Really happy that they're going to be out there. And he wasn't like the serious, deliberate Tim Cook that we'd seen before, uh, explaining like you know how only Apple could do this and how what Apple's philosophy is or whatever. But I think that was okay. Like you know, he, he's more of an MC in these things anyway. And you know, Schiller was Schiller, and Federighi did his thing perfectly well. Uh, so I don't mind his his stumbling and and missteps or whatever because I think it was not I didn't get the nervous vibe from him. I didn't get the uh, I'm really nervous because I'm worried about what we're going to announce. I got the I'm excited about these products and maybe I'll trip over myself in the excitement. And what do you think, Marco? Well, uh, honestly, I, f- I skipped most of Tim's sections when I was watching the video. <laughs> Well, just because he doesn't, Tim doesn't really say a lot that's like new or interesting, especially the beginning half. I skipped over that entire thing. I just went right to the right to the parts introductions because I was watching the live blogs. I, you know, I knew roughly what he said and what he was talking about, and that was all I really needed from this event. But uh, so I can't really comment on that, except that I always like when you're watching the um, the keynote videos on your computer. If you open it up in QuickTime, you can actually you get like a two X control. You get like a little speed control that you can adjust. And I always put Tim on like two or three X because he just speaks so slowly. I have to get through it in a reasonable amount of time. Um, so I, I I really can't judge for sure <laughs> in this case because I skipped most of what he said and the parts I didn't skip I played very quickly because I was bored. Um, usually yeah. I like I like Tim a little bit more. Um, I just think in, in this in this keynote there wasn't a whole lot for him to say that was very interesting. Like I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I just think you know there wasn't a whole lot for him to say. That there wasn't a whole lot for any of them to say really. Here's some new iPhones. They're really good in some ways and really unsurprising and boring in others. And uh, it's almost all exactly what you all expect. You all, you've all already seen these things on rumor sites. Here you go. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of room in this event to really get that interesting by the presenters. And they didn't drag it out. Like it was a pretty tidy presentation. It was yeah. like pretty much right on the hour. So I think I you know, I think it was fine. Like there was no there's no showmanship required for this. They weren't revealing iOS seven for the first time. Like there's a time and a place for that type of thing, and this was just more of let it go out the door. Although I do I mean, Steve Jobs would have been flipping out about how much was known about these things ahead of time. But it seems like the current crew was like, yeah, supply chain's going to leak. It's going to happen. What can we do? I, I, can, I can't tell if this if people are still seething back there or if it was all like Jobs' secrecy personality that, you know, like, was it, like Tim said, oh, we're doubling down on secrecy. And people make fun of that. But it's like, well, good job because we knew everything about these phones, basically. But I, <laughs> I'm assuming what he meant was like, 
whatever new product category thing that they release, I'm assuming we won't have complete, you know, video of people playing with that ahead of time. You know what I mean? And in fact, we don't even know what they're doing. Are they making a TV set or are they not? Are they making a watch? Are they making a nose ring? We don't know. Like that type of, <laughs> that type of secrecy. Uh, so, so far, assuming any of those things have any reality behind them so far, Apple really has doubled down on secrecy because we have no idea what they're doing in, in, in TV that we haven't already seen. And we have no idea if they're making a watch. It's just a bunch of rumors. Now, as we get closer, we'll see if they really holds, but I'm not ready to say that his doubling down secrecy thing was, you know, a total failure because I think that Apple could still potentially have secrets that it's kept a hundred percent. Like we, nothing from those things. We just have, we have speculation and rumors we have no blurry pictures. We have no videos of people playing with cases or anything like that. Yeah, we and yeah, we don't even know what they're doing. You're right. Like it's like even when the iPad was about to come out, everyone had pretty good, you know, pretty good rumors saying Apple is doing a tablet specifically. Like it is a tablet, it will run iOS and it will come out roughly around this time. And those those all ended up being correct. Um you know, it, it to, to have if they if they are indeed very close to launching a new category, which we don't really know, but if they're really close to launching a new product category, yeah, you're right, they've done a heck of a job keeping it secret. And there's also a massive number of uh, important product details that we know are coming soon. Like for one of the biggest is like whether the iPad Mini will have a Retina version this fall. That's a major product detail. And we don't know the answer to that yet. Everyone's all over the place with the predictions and the rumors and the you know BS analysts and all these things. So there's that. There's whether there's going to be Retina displays, Retina IMAX, uh, what the heck's happening to the MacBook Pro line, when those are going to be updated, and what will, what they will have in them, like the Mac Pro release, when it's actually going to happen. What well, the, cost. the Mac Pro itself, they totally kept right. that one under yeah, wraps. Like we didn't even know that. if they were going to discontinue the computer line, and they can't. You know, nobody had spy shots of a black garbage can. Exactly. So <laughs> that's why I feel like you know. The, the the phone is always an exception, and the iPad a little bit. It's an exception because they just have to make so many of these things, and you know, for them to say you can buy this next week, uh, they they had to have been producing them for a while already, and they had to have been testing and producing parts for a while before that, and so and they're they're making these things in such ridiculous quantities. So many suppliers are involved. That's why that always. That's why the phones always leak, and a little bit of the iPads too. That's why they always leak in advance now, because they're just making so many of them. Too many people are involved, and they can't control them all. The other products, the Macs in particular, um, just don't sell anywhere near those kind of volumes, and so it's easier for them to keep those things secret. And certainly, a new product category probably falls under that same uh, protection. Well, depending on what it is, I suppose. If it's something that's as universally desired as an iPhone, then they're going to need to make a gazillion of those too. Although I guess it's a harder thing to bet on before you've even announced it to anyone. Right, and, and maybe the very first version won't be that successful. I mean, the very first iPad was not a massive blockbuster hit. It sold more than anyone thought, but it didn't sell as much as the iPhone. It still doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's, the iPhone is the, the best example. Like, the very first version of the iPhone was, you know, not selling that many. It was a slow ramp up. So I, whatever thing they come out with, this watch or television, I, they'll have time to ramp up manufacturing. And as someone in the chat room said, what the easy way to do it is what they did with the iPhone, which is like, you know, secrecy behind the iPhone. No one had any idea what it was going to look like, but we all know they were making a phone. Uh, just to announce it six months before it ships, like they did with the Mac Pro, like they did with the iPhone. I don't remember it was six months or whatever it was, because then you haven't started ramping manufacturing yet, and there aren't a million of these things shipping around the world, and you have a big lead time. Uh, they did it with the iPhone because you know the FCC uh, 
you know, clearing clearing the FCC in the U.S. would require pictures of the device and everything like that. So it was going to be spoiled anyway. So they had to pre-announce it, which is fine. And the Mac Pro, they pre-announced it because they'd already made it wait God knows how long. And we were going to flip out. And so they're like, all right, here you go. Uh, we're actually making one. You can't have it now, but don't worry. It's not dead. And that was, they needed to do that messaging wise. And for new category product, uh, if there's some sort of FCC stuff, maybe they have to pre-announce that too, but I don't know if there is going to, I don't know what the requirements are for fitness trackery things that you wear and, or for television sets. I don't think you have to, it's, I don't think either one of those things is probably going to have its own, uh, LTE, 3G, whatever connection. So they're probably okay. All right, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, that's fine. Unless you wanted to do some late follow-up, which we can always say for the next show. Follow-up comes at the front of the show, Casey. Well, that's <laughs> why it was late follow-up, John. Late. Well, you, can't, you can't just put a modifier on a word and change it. Oh, that works. <laughs> yes, we should end the show. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot oh, to our goodness. two sponsors this week, MailRoute and Squarespace, and we'll see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C A. E-Y-L-I-S-S, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, U-S-A, Syracuse, it's accidental. We have the more important uh, issue in the tail end here. Marco, do you see the two links I put in the Skype chat? Uh, let's see. Are we talking about the Han versus Non? Yes. See, there's enough of that H um, shaft, I guess. There's, an, there's <laughs> enough of that. I don't know. <laughs> so, What's the typographical term? So the, the, ye- the yellow and green one shows more of the stem of the H than there is a stem on the N. But the white one shows pretty much equal amounts of stem above the H and the N. And as we know, this case is not like a precision aligned. Like it, that, that amount of motion can clearly be, you know, from just shifting the case around a little bit. So I still say N-O-N because the amount of extra stem that you're going to get above the N is so minuscule and may actually be non-existent. So N-O-N is my take and the white one supports my theory. They're super zoomed in, probably artificially rendered uh, yellow and green one does show a tiny bit more stem on that H. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think... Uh, Take out Photoshop white... and draw a horizontal line across the N-O-N and the white one, you'll see. I would say the white one is a shadow. Like, it's a shadow covering that part, and then on the... <laughs> we'll see. Well, now you have to buy one with that case. <laughs> no, just, there's no way I'm buying that. It's silicone, so it stretches, so you can just move your thumb and say, see, now it's covering it. Now it's not. Now it's covering <laughs> It's gracious. By the oh, way, the awesome. real-time follow-up, Marco, I think you're thinking of Ascender. Oh. Apparently. Yes. Okay. I know That's... descenders are the things that break the baseline, but yeah. All right. Anyway, shaft is better. You want to talk about <laughs> this um, this USB 3.0 micro connector? I actually have one of these things. Yeah, I have one too. It's on my uh, bus-powered one terabyte drive. 
Yeah, yeah, I have a, I have a card reader that, that uses. Yeah, why that. is this a thing right now? We've known about this. Yeah, I don't know. I guess people who don't either don't buy a lot of accessories or don't keep up with the umpteen different USB connectors think this is a new thing. Like the story was, this will be coming to your Android phone, which may or may not be true, and whatever. And maybe it's more embarrassing because it's such a relatively large connector for a phone. Uh, but it's got one thing over regular, you know, the the regular whatever it is, Type B, I think the the flat rectangular one is that at least it's externally asymmetrical. Yes. <laughs> at least we can give it that. But I mean, ha- for mine, like because it's on a card reader, I actually use it frequently, and it is really hard to insert or remove that cable. And I don't know if it's just mine, and like just maybe my the socket on my card reader isn't that well made. Um, but it's it's really kind of a to to plug that in, and uh, like I always think I'm breaking it. It's it's that bad. Yeah, these are no lightning connectors. The lightning lightning connector is genius both because it can be plugged in either way and there's no wrong way, and also because it inverts the normal relationship of connectors, which is a bent piece of metal like into like a not a tube, but like a you know, a hollow cylinder and then change the shape of that. So it's got this flimsy metal wall surrounding this internal thing where the pins are, where lightning says, No, we're gonna make a solid metal flange and put our contacts on top of it. And anything with the flimsy metal wall, especially as you shrink it down, it just becomes ridiculous. Because lots of micro-USB connectors are externally asymmetrical, but just barely. Like, you have to squint at it to get the little yeah. trapezoid on your... You know, some of them are just microscopic. Like, the one... Uh, my new camera has whatever the super teeny tiny USB thing is, and it's trapezoid-shaped. But you <laughs> you can't barely feel it with your fingers, and you have to really squint to see it. And you have to make sure you put it in the right way, and then you're shoving a little, you know ring of metal into another ring of flimsy metal it's much more satisfying to stick the solid metal lightning connector to something so apple's connector is way better here yeah i'm i agree that the the usb micro connector is even the 2.0 one is is awful i mean it's it's every time because it's on almost every camera these days and it's on every kindle it's on you know a lot of devices now and uh yeah i always have to like look very carefully to see what direction it goes in and i get it wrong half the time it, it's almost or even more. I would say it's almost as as hard to plug in as a VGA cable. Like those, I, I always got VGA cables backwards. Even I would look, and then I would I would like not quite see it right, and still try to plug it in backwards. Oh, VGA never bothered me, but DVI to this day, I always yeah. get backwards every single time. Yeah, DVI, you got to look for the cross. Or mm-hmm. well, if it's not an eye cable, then you have like the dash. But you know, even then, it's I still mess that up too. Although nothing, I mean. USB, regular USB A cables, those mess me up. Like, because mm-hmm. they're ridiculous too. Yeah, like I've said on, on past shows, like, if it's your job to design a connector, there are very few axes on which you can excel. And you would think it's like, I want to be a good connector designer. Like, what do you even have to think about except these exact very issues? There's not an entire world of <laughs> possibilities. There's, there's reliability, there's fulfilling the spec, and there's, I got to plug it in and unplug it all the time. Don't make that a pain in the butt like this. That's what you. That's what your job is. You're a connector designer. I don't know how these people sleep at night. Like, I, I sure, I sure did, did a good job designing that connector, didn't I? How? How are you measuring yourself? How are you deciding that you did a good job? I, I hope they suffer their entire lives just getting their connections wrong, and fumbling with their cameras, and not being able to. Like, then they must say, "Boy, I suck at my job." I'm sure that's what they're all going through. I, well, yeah. keep in mind, Apple has two massive luxuries that most uh, connector designers don't. Which, well, I don't know how big this field is, but um, they have two huge luxuries. They don't have to worry that much about cost, and they can completely break backwards compatibility. 
and it's kind of, and they're you know a third I guess is like they're kind of a dictatorship um, in that you know they don't have to work on some committee and please sixteen different companies who are all trying to make the same connectors as you for the next ten years and you know do all that yeah. stuff like they 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 can just say they can just decree this is what's best we're going to do it we don't care what you think and we don't care what it costs you and uh, and that's it yeah cost has to be the biggest one but I still think at this point. You should still throw in the criteria of, oh, and by the way, it should be impossible to put in the wrong way and very clear which way it's supposed to go. And you should, like, your job is to make that also make it cheap. Like, yes, make it reliable, make it a good connector to use, and also make it cheap. And I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. Granted, maybe you can't make something as, as you know, beautiful and precious as the Lightning connector, but surely we can do better than these crazy USB things. Like, you know, even if you just, I mean, like the cost thing is like, oh, we can't have it be reversible because that makes it so much more expensive for the uh, for the devices because now they have to handle it being both ways. I think we can overcome that. I think the the, the universe of Ethernet cables being able to detect whether it's a crossover cable or not, like we we cross that hurdle. Now we don't have to deal with cross. <laughs> you know, even the super cheap crappy PCs have that. So it's possible. It can be done. It's just it takes just a little tiny bit of effort. We can we can make USB connectors that are impossible to put in the wrong way. Uh, without breaking the bank like they're 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 being penny wise pound foolish oh how's the review or any update i was so excited today through twitter someone directed me to the dev forums which gave me a solution to getting uh offline dictation working you had to go there to get that working i didn't have to i was directed there by some a helpful person on twitter like i wouldn't you wouldn't think that like okay i've got dp7 but this feature doesn't work let me search the dev forum to see if there's a way I can make it work. And sure enough, there was. They, uh, I'm assuming it was a bad updater or something, but it just involved making a symlink to a framework or something. Because like it's, it's oh. an XPC thing, and the XPC thing couldn't find the thing that it was executing. So you just make a symlink, and then it works suddenly. So I'm, you know, I was happy to see that this is some sort of packaging and installer uh, problem, and not like a technical problem. Like the code was there, the code actually does work. It's just that. The operating system couldn't find it because it wasn't in the right place. Fun. So does it work? It does. And I used it and I wrote up that little section, which was like three paragraphs. But yeah, it's like nice. not. Yeah. So it's it's being edited. It's done being edited. They they finished editing what they had. But of course, they haven't edited the, the, my three paragraphs on dictation. Sure. And I, you know, we're still running tests, battery tests. Like I would like to get tests on the GM and put those in the review and not say like, OK, well, on DP7, like although I don't think things have been varying that much between these builds. So if we can't get the the GM version, it won't be the end of the world to run tests against. I think the numbers that we get on whatever the second to last build are, we're probably going to be pretty accurate. But uh, but yeah, I would I would like a, a ship date and a GM. That's what I would like, and not have it be like <laughs> iOS seven, where it's eight days from now. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're kind of ready for that, though. I mean, as, as much as you're no, probably going to be. No, you gotta. I gotta send these things to. The, it's the iBook store. I don't know what the turnaround oh, time is yeah. because, because I have to assume I'm going to be rejected first. So there's a one turnaround time where you send it and they reject it for some crazy reason. And if you're lucky, the second time it'll go. This will be the first time I'm sending any books to the iBook store. So I, I assume that I will be rejected the first time. Actually, I should have looked at my notes during the thing because I wrote stuff in them. I forgot to mention the storage shift. Oh, the lack of a storage shift? Yeah. Come on, man. But anyway, I just need <laughs> storage shift. Seriously, how much does how much does an additional 16 gigs of flash cost these days? Not $100. Well, that's their margins. 
I know, I know. But it's like like even Apple ships eventually. Like eventually they stop shipping, you know, standard Macs coming with two gigs of RAM and they change to four. Like that happens. It has to happen eventually. What is this gonna be ten years from now? It's like, well, it comes in sixteen thirty-two and sixty-four. No. I like it. I think okay. we have to put this rant in the show. No, I did. I'll, I'll do a better one next week because I'll still, I'll still be pissed about this. I don't <laughs> know why. Why is anyone else pissed about this?